How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. <clears throat> and today we're going to continue on our walkthrough of the book of Philippians. So we are up to... Where's our button? There it is. We're up to chapter 2. <clears throat> And picking up at uh, verse 1, again, we're going to be using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, interpretation, application, demonstration. We're going to be using the biblical study principle, the clear interprets the unclear. So please grab your notepads, your pens, your Bibles, your tea, your coffee, whatever you're having for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or whatever, just a snack. Come join us at the uh, table. And if you have any uh, comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. Again, this is a, a uh, table study. So as we're going through here, if you see something that stands out to you or you'd like uh, to comment on or if you'd like some clarification on a point that we're going over, please feel free to chime in um, just as long as it's regarding the study at hand if it's not uh regarding the study at hand if you could just hold that to our next broadcast as we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing all right so <clears throat> now let me just ask a quick question before we get going here okay so we're up to chapter two we're at verse one According to the biblical study method, as I talked about, uh, the Brian method, um, how should we go about starting this? Do we just start cold at just chapter 2, verse 1? Uh, how, how should we properly study uh, study this? How should we properly read this in, in continuing, continuing our reading, our, our, our uh, walkthrough of this? How should we go about this? What's the right method? What's the right way we should do this? Dearly <clears throat> says, go back a few verses to gain context. Exactly. Now, why? Why? Why should we do that? Always have to wait, wait a minute for all the comments to come through. There's a bit of a delay in the when people click enter. There's a bit of a delay here, so I need I need to have the Jeopardy theme music queued up for this. <laughs> I blog says I was going to say that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you're both right then. But uh, why is it important that we back up a few verses? Why should we do that? It, you know, it's good that we do that, but what is the reason, the purpose? Well, it comes it comes in uh, relation of, uh, again, understanding, not just understanding context here, but uh, as the flow of context, but as um, specific words have meaning, and we see that we need to... We, I guess it is, it's just in the flow of context. My coffee hasn't kicked in fully yet. Uh, <laughs> but but as we see, 
that uh, the chapter verse divisions are tools that were added to help us, to help us in the reading, in the research of this. The chapter verse divisions don't actually exist in the original manuscripts. It's a solid letter. It's a solid letter. Flow of thoughts and understanding. And we're breaking up thoughts, breaking up understanding, breaking up these things with the chapter verse divisions. And we need to be careful about reading them in line of the uh, chapter verse breaks. Uh, purely says so that we know what it's referring to. Divisions aren't revelation. Exactly. So, and if we're, uh, so like if you have even a novel. You do the same thing where you leave off somewhere. Now you put your bookmark in, you're done reading your novel, you set it down, you come back the next day or whatever, and you pick it up. It, you often will just back up a paragraph or, or whatever, just or the previous page, just a quick glance to see, okay, so that your brain can kick back into what, now what was going on to remember the images, the thoughts, the senses of the story, and that we're doing the same thing with this. We back up a little bit, we get back on track we get the car warmed up and, and we uh, uh remember what we we're talking about what we're what we're sensing seeing understanding uh, imagining all these things when we continue on in our reading so if we do this here let's back up to <clears throat> chapter 1 verse 27 only let your conversation as it becomes the gospel of christ we're talking about this, about the importance of guarding our words, our thoughts, our behavior. Now, why? So whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and working together. Um, uh, purely says, so we don't make it about something it's not about. Exactly. Now, this is, therein, though... There is a, a point uh, about that, though, as we see, uh, there's only one interpretation of the Word of God. What it says is what it means. But as there's only one interpretation, there are multiple applications. It can be applied mentally, physically, spiritually, circumstantially. It, that We can take these uh, these instructions, these things that we see, and we can apply them to many many things that's application but again we got we got to be careful about uh, about ignoring the interpretation because the interpretation will gauge the the truth of application so we want so we want to be careful about that but it can be applied to multiple things but it must be applied in line of the interpretation first uh, peter 2021 20, that's right um so yeah so we see the context here of the interpretation is paul's talking to the philippians and they're rejoicing together and paul's encouraging them exhorting them strengthening them to continue on working together one mind one heart one faith ignoring the naysayers ignoring the trolls ignoring the haters stay the course fight the good fight <clears throat> As he says in verse 27, stand fast. And we remember we were talking about that, about rooting ourselves, unmovable, always abounding the word of God in prayer. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And we're about talking about like the soldiers, shoulder to shoulder, the shield wall, marching forward, working as one machine. 
and in nothing terrified by your adversaries and like like i said who cares about the trolls and the haters and all those others ignore them do your job ignore them be terrified of nothing doesn't matter what kind of hound of hell comes out at you ignore it which is to them an evil uh, an evident token of perdition but to you of salvation and that of god for unto you it is given in the behalf of christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake and as we we take the job and we work with christ as christ was also berated and suffered this job this work of righteousness of god the the byproduct is going to be the hate of the world they will hate you because of me you will be persecuted hated of all men and all of that and it will come it's all part and parcel like when people sign on for the military it's not just going to be boot camp and shooting guns and uh, rucksack trips and all that kind of thing flying helicopters and planes and tanks and stuff but there's also war that comes along with it there's a lot of training a lot of stuff you can make friends and uh, a lot of experiences all this stuff but it there is the aspect there you might be called to the front and the saints that walk in christ are called to the front we are called we're called to work but be nothing terrified be in nothing terrified by your adversaries but to them it's an evident token of perdition of that when they they're opposing of you just proves their condemnation, proves their sin. It proves the case that Christ is true, that the word of God is true. It proves the it proves everything that Jesus says when they oppose you. All they are literally doing is reinforcing your faith and proving the word of God. So every time the atheist, the pagan, the heathen, the godless rise up against you, it's a proof of the gospel. <laughs> All they are doing is strengthening your faith and proving the veracity of the word of God. So look at it that way. That's why I rejoice in tribulations, because even tribulations are proof of the faith. Stick that one in your theological pipe and smoke it for a moment. A lot of people don't like to think about it that way, but it's true. And that's one thing the Lord is worked on me for quite a while and no one likes opposition nobody likes persecution but as paul gave us an example <clears throat> i have learned in everything to be content i have learned i have learned and he's learned in oppositions he's learned in blessings he's learning all these things to bring everything to the lord to cast his care upon the lord it's a difficult lesson to learn, and I can't say I have fully learned it, but I am learning. But when people oppose, they mock and scoff and deride and name call and cause all kinds of problems. I've learned to, to try, I'm trying to build up a new knee-jerk reaction. That instead of getting upset or whatever, or, or taking it personally and, and feeling bad and all that kind of thing, but rather I, it's whenever someone rises up against me in some way, shape, or form, I imme immediately look at it as it's just validating what I'm doing. It's justifying the veracity of the message. That it's a, it's a fulfillment of the word of God. 
as the Lord says about how the world will hate you, how to treat you, and how the goats, the wolves, and the rats will rise up against you, and all these things, and it just it, it proves the faith. And I just give it over to the Lord that that uh, I'm on the right track because of their of their revilings. So we need to learn to not take it personally, because the only reason they're rising up against you is because of what the Lord said. If you hadn't said anything, or if you had said just say something else, they wouldn't even care about you. They would never rise up against you. They would never curse or mock or deride. So don't take it personally. Because they can't spit in the face of God, they're going to do so by proxy through you. That's all it is. Since they can't, since they can't mock God directly to his face, they're going to do it by proxy through you. That's all it is. So don't take it personally. Uh, learn to have, uh, have like water off a duck's back, uh, have thick skin, thick skull, and uh, and just ignore their railings, ignore their rantings. Be more like Elijah when they start doing it. Just break out the conductor wand and you know cry, cry louder, cry louder. Listen to their their screams and their anger and their wrath. You know it's it's it's, it's an old story. It's an old song. They're just throwing sinful tantrums because God said what they're doing is wrong. God said no, so they're gonna rant and scream. So just ignore them. Just keep doing what you're doing to ignore their their hate. <clears throat> Purely says, this has been my season of self-control regarding my reactions to these scuffs. Exactly. Learning grace. Being diligent and thinking differently about it. That's right. So with that, in nothing terrified, but rather look at it as an evident token of their perdition, which should fire you up to try to reach them even more. And to you, it's a proof of salvation. As you see in verse 28, it's a proof of salvation, that of God. Verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. The same conflicts that I suffer. And we've gone over that before, the kind of things that he's gone through. So, regarding contentions strifes tribulations trials conflicts regarding the troubles and the heavinesses the negativities these things can weigh us down these things can can be heavy it can cause us to fall into depression anger frustration and all this but as the word of god says let no root of bitterness well up within you Give no place to any root of bitterness. Because what does bitterness bitter blah? What does bitterness do? What does bitterness do? It causes us to focus on the flesh, to focus on the physical. It'll cause us to not be fully sincere in our message. It will throw a wrench. In our communication and conversation with Christ in our prayer and study and we won't be looking at people the way we ought to because bitterness starts when you start taking it personally for unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ to suffer as Christ said that this is how it's supposed to be so why are you getting upset when it happens I know, I understand, it's easier said than done. 
uh, that we, we shouldn't get bitter or whatever it does happen but if it does happen you need to get over that quickly and get that fixed because that's going to damage your ministry it's going to damage your outlook it's going to damage your testimony because everybody knows when you've got your fur rubbed the wrong way and you got your back up and you're being crusty and you're and you're getting all bitter and frustrated and depressed everybody knows it everybody can see it everyone can feel it and you can't preach Christ in that kind of an attitude. You can't witness of Christ. You can't serve the Lord. You, you can't be a proper, sincere, faithful witness when you're in that kind of a behavior and mood. So you need to get over that. So therefore, chapter 2, verse 1 is about this. So right on the heels regarding the conflicts and the issues which you saw in me now here to be in me if there be therefore therefore what is the therefore therefore regarding the conflicts regarding therefore the conflicts if there be any consolation where the lord consoles you any consolation in christ what is his name the wonderful counselor the wonderful counselor like if people go to the therapists and all the counselors and other stuff for when they're having troubles and issues and problems, they go to them and they just pour out all their frustration and heaviness and everything else on them. And the counselor, what does he do? Tries to help them reason through it, work through it, to get over it, to get back on track. The Lord is our wonderful counselor. If only more Christians understood that. If only Christians would run to the Lord instead of running to earthly counselors. Christians are shirking prayer and fasting and replacing it with earthly counselors. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So, to stay in the same spirit, of the same mind, of the same work, of the same love, the same comfort, of the same fellowship, of the same Christ. How can we do this? Well, we all have to be going by the same handbook. The same marching orders following the same general, the same ruler, the same authority, the, the same... If therefore be any consolation in Christ, of the same Christ. What the Lord say about this in Matthew chapter 5? Now, the Sermon on the Mount is vastly misunderstood in, in that Jesus did not preach that message to the crowd. The Sermon on the Mount was specifically a, an address for his disciples of how they should behave to each other and to the world. Jesus did not preach that message to the crowd. So next time you read the Sermon on the Mount, see that Jesus is preaching that specifically, directly to only his disciples. So the consolation, it, 
is the instruction of how we're supposed to be, but also that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he bears our weight. He, he bears our weights. He takes our cares, that he will work it out. He will do all the work, all the job. He'll do everything that needs to be done. All we need to do is just speak. But Lord, their threatenings, their, their hatred and all these things. Well, so they did to me. Do, what makes you think that they'll treat you any differently than they did me? The Lord says. Understanding it, it's the same cause. Look at what they did to the prophets. Look what they did to the disciples. Look what they did to the apostles. Look what they did to Jesus. Look what they did to the martyrs all down through the ages. So fear not their threatenings, but rather cast your care upon him, for he careth for you. And the Lord will deal with that. Those, uh, 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 the promise of Abraham is upon us as well. And that he, that the, those who, I'll curse those who curse thee and I'll bless those who bless thee. The Lord will fight for you. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Surrender not evil for evil. Speak evil of no man. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Bless them no matter what they do. If there be any consolation in Christ, what is the consolation? The consolation is the promises of God that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll be with us always. He'll teach us all things. He, he will provide our needs. He will strengthen us and help us. And he'll bless us. And he'll teach us, instruct us. He'll never leave us. And the hope. The hope. Look forward. Look forward to the hope that this time here on earth Think about this one very, very, very carefully. In the span of eternity, our life here on earth is not even a scratch on the surface of eternity. It's just a, it's not even a blip on the screen. It's not even a blip on the screen of eternity of how short our time is here but look at eternity to come thinking about it in that way for eternity i'm going to be with the lord for eternity i'm going to walk with him for eternity i'm going to be in his glory i can bear the weight of today just one day at a time forgetting the things of the past take no thought of the morrow tomorrow might not even come so don't even worry about it the problems of today may not even reflect on tomorrow in fact if i call upon the lord he, he can even turn it about so they don't affect even tomorrow i don't have to worry about it one day at a time sufficient unto the days evil thereof the consolation in christ the joyous message of philippians is paul help, helping helping them to understand and to remember Let's brush it off don't even worry about it keep keep working keep serving keep preaching ignore their threatenings worry not and nothing terrified hold your head up square your shoulders strengthen the feeble knees confirm the weak ankles lift up the hands and hang down and keep crying out keep crying out if there be therefore any consolation in christ any comfort of love any fellowship of the spirit the spirit of god fellowships with you he speaks with you he dwells with you remember that 
You're not alone. You're not alone. One man with Christ is in the majority. One saint in Christ is in the majority. Then he bowels and mercies the heart of Christ. As, as how he longed and, and how his heart broke for. And how he longed for. From uh, this, It's the same heart of the same senses. The same attitude that Christ had. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. So we see that the mind, the behavior, the senses, the, uh, the character of the Apostle Paul, as he says, use me as an example, as I'm an example of Christ, ye be like-minded. To strive like he strived, to work like he worked, to preach like he preached, to serve like he served, having the same love as it's the same love of Christ. Now, just as Pastor Paul mentioned in one of the, his uh, previous messages there about the love of Christ. And you see, when the Pharisees would come to sur surround him like bullies to just go at him again, you see, Jesus didn't berate them in, in that in hatred or, or any of that kind of thing. But rather, he, he tried every time to teach them, to show them, to convict them, because he wants them to repent and believe. He would show them their error again and again and again and again, not to just rail on them, but to teach them. Like-minded, even with those that, that come to oppose you, well, so did you at one point. We all opposed the Lord at one point. We were all enemies of God. We were all enemies of all righteousness. We were all children of the devil. Don't forget where you came from. And, and how we long for them to go from sinners to saints. From Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. Of the same mind, of the same hope, like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, one accord, working together. Working together, step in step, thought in thought, work in work. What are we here for? We're here for one job, one job only. That is to preach the gospel of Christ and to fulfill the love of Christ. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now, as we see, there's a different context here. As you see earlier, it says that we, the saints, should be striving together in the faith of Christ. That means pushing together, working together, fight, fighting as one to push the gospel forward, to oppose sin, and to bring Christ to the world. Of working, laboring in Christ. The context there. But we see here, let nothing be done through strife, through striving. Now this context, I see striving or vainglory, but, uh, but rather, as you see, where it's placed here, this is talking about in actual like bickering, butting heads in opposition with one another. To be in opposition with the world of fighting with them, bickering with them. That's what that means. Through strife or vainglory. Uh, uh, but to avoid strifes and contentions, it says in another passage. <clears throat> Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Pointlessness. Though what would be pointlessness? 
for my own benefit to build up my own name to to just make money just to uh to prove uh, my intellect just to make uh, to build up myself for for other points and reasons other than what it's meant to be for i get off on tangents on hobby horses let nothing nothing be done through strife or vain glory but in lowliness of mind self-debasement that i must decrease he must increase it's about him not me it's about his glory not mine but in lowliness of mind thinking less of myself more of him the self uh, self-conceitedness uh, is myself has i have nothing to do with it that i'm just a servant he's the master he's the king he's the point but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves Ooh, there's one there's one that uh, that we see a lot of people just don't get that's a really really hard one to learn this one really goes against the grain of human nature let each esteem the other other people better than themselves that's humility that's humility where we see the lord himself if the lord jesus god manifested in the flesh could put on servants garments grab a bowl of water kneel down before his his disciples and wash their feet showing symbolizing the spirit of humility if he can do that to give an example to show us whereas it since he did that we should follow his example and it's not just well i have to because i was supposed to no 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 it's not a have to it should be a want to we should see a calmness a gentleness in spirit where you don't see yourself better than anyone else. Well, I I can preach better than that person. Well, I know more than they do about that topic. Well, I've been around the block. I've been a Christian for this many years. You need to listen to me. Well, I've read the Bible about 500,000 times this year. You know, that you see here all this people trying to exalt themselves in some way shape or form well i've been a christian for so many years and i've gone to church for this many years and i i i own the whole spurgeon series i've gone through all his books and i know i've read i've been i i've gone to bible school i have this many degrees i have this many diplomas i've done this i've done that who do you think you are in the grand scheme of everything rather we see lowliness of mind so that ser- servantry spirit that hu- the spirit of humility understanding that the principle of john the baptist i must decrease he must increase what does that mean what does it mean to esteem others better than yourself just that to not think highly of yourself boast not thyself 
As you see, as well as the Lord says, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, thence will I bring thee down. The Lord hates pride and arrogance. God hates that kind of, uh, of an attitude where you think yourself better than anyone else. Well, well, you don't know what they do. You should see the kind of sins they commit. You really want to play that game. How would you like it if God was to, to pull back the curtain of your life and of your thoughts and your imaginations of all of your sins and reveal your all of your sins to the world? How would you, how would you feel? Well, you just don't know what they've done. Do you really want to, want, to, want to play that game and remember everything that you've done in the grand scheme of all of your secret thoughts, all of your imaginations, everything that you've done behind closed doors and in public and bring it all up on the carpet? You really think yourself better than them? If or even the liars will be cast into the lake of fire. Just as there is no goodness scale where you know the better people the the good people will get into heaven that doesn't exist the sin scale doesn't exist well this sin's worse than this sin all sin is abomination and, and condemned of god the lord condemns and and will judge all sins just as the most vile immoral disgusting debaucherous individual will be cast in like a fire just as the liar the thief the godless the unholy and the profane all sin will be cast into the lake of fire nobody's better than anyone else and the sooner you learn that one the better you'll be nobody is better than anyone else i'm not better than you you're not better than me I'm not better than Spurgeon. He's not better than me. And Spurgeon's not better than Paul, Paul the Apostle. And he's not better than Spurgeon. We're all the same. We are all equal in the eyes of God. There's only, there's only two camps. The saved and the unsaved. But everybody was made in the image of God. And everybody is equal. And... and in that regard and as for the saved all are equal for there's neither jew nor gentile neither bond nor free neither male nor female all are one in christ all the saints are equal in the eyes of god there isn't one saint that it, that is better than others we're all sinners saved by grace do not exalt yourself but rather see who you are and what you strive to do is to try to help people to be better than you. You want them to be better. That the next generation would be better saints. The next generation would be better preachers, stronger preachers, stronger evangelists, greater soldiers. That they'd be, that they'd be better champions of the faith. They would lead more revivals. They would do more for the Lord, plant more churches. We try to help each other, to lift up each other, to exhort each other, to be better than ourselves. For true joy in Christ's likeness comes in that spirit.
when we try to uplift one another higher than ourselves. Because how do you lift someone up? You put them over you. They stand on your shoulders. Give them something to stand on. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This same mind. As he served us to help to draw us. And look at what he gave for us. Look what he bore for us. So, so that we might see, look at the scoffing, the mocking, the, the persecution, the hatred, and the, and the torture, the things that he went through for us. What are you willing to go through for others? To help the saints, to help the church. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. It's about the Lord God, Jesus Christ. The same spirit of the same love. Now, this mind, this mind, it's a way of thinking. Our rationale, our logic, our reason, everything is to go through this mind. Not through the fleshly mind but through the mind of spirit. Now, Paul talks about this greatly in, in, in his book, uh, Romans, especially chapter, chapter 7, talking about this, about the mind of spirit. Because we have two minds. There's the mind of flesh and the mind of spirit. The mind of flesh only regards earthly things and thinks of only of itself. It's spoiled, rotten, selfish, conceited, arrogant, and prideful, sinful doesn't care about anyone else and takes everything personally and it's all about self but then the mind of spirit is exaltation of christ into and casts everything upon the lord and focuses only on the lord think about how when you meet the lord on that day your knees will start shaking and you will and you will fall on your face before him in worship and honor and fear and love. Now, if we do that in our minds on a regular basis of falling before the Lord and bringing everything before him in his honor and his worship and his, for his spirit of his glory, what do you think that will do outwardly? How, how that will reflect outwardly? When we're in proper relationship with the Lord in prayer and study and worship and communication and fellowship, out of you will flow the springs of living water. We will naturally, instinctually love righteousness and hate iniquity. We naturally, instinctually will be wanting to spend more time with him in communication and prayer and reading and study and fellowship walking in spirit, praying in spirit, thinking in spirit, speaking in spirit, working in spirit. That's how you crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. Render not evil for evil, speak evil of no man. Rail not again. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Think about the way, if you can, Use your sanctified imagination. 
Think about the way Jesus himself thought. How did he think? When individuals would come and were to talk to him or whatever, how do you think he how do you think he thought of them? What was his goal? The point, the purpose. How do you think it even reflected in his appearance of his uh, the look in his eyes the look in his face the way the, his mannerisms the way he moved the way the way he behaved there's a gentleness there's a mystery about him there's something deeper where he didn't get frustrated with it but rather he longed there is a grieving there is a sorrow there is a joy there is a rejoicing there is a sincerity, a zealousness about him. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. People come to him again and again and again and again, and he wouldn't grow tired of it. He wouldn't get angry at them. Every single person that ever came to him, he never turned a single one away. And even if it was the Pharisees that came, he even spoke to them to rebuke, instruct, so that they would fall under conviction and repent. Because God is not willing that any should perish. It doesn't matter who they are, what they are. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. In your mannerisms, your treatment of the saints, as in your treatment to the unsaved. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, God's form, God's manifestation in the flesh. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He didn't, he didn't come as a king, promote, uh, pr promoting uh, all the powers of heaven uh, to, to, build, to build up like a kingdom on earth kind of thing. But made himself no reputation, but rather humbled himself. Isaiah 53. And just like, uh, uh, came just like you and I. Made himself no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. Now this same mind that was in Christ, of how, look at how he came. We don't come and uh, with, with with trumpets and big parade and all that kind of thing, making a big deal about ourselves. But rather, we go rather as servants to serve to bring them to the understanding of the Lord. But what do we see a lot happening today? People making it all about themselves, making reputation to make it about themselves. Taking the glory to themselves. It's about their name, their money, their fame, their fortune, themselves, rather than redirecting it back to the Lord. You see it happen all the time. So many preachers, so many uh, so-called professed Christians, making it, making big deals about themselves. Big names, big titles, big churches, lots of money, and to make themselves famous. But, but the Lord Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He made himself of no reputation. But he came to serve 
He came to teach. He came to save souls. Verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Humility. Humility is one of the chief cornerstones of proper service of God. It's not about me. See, it's like, uh, I forget who said it. It's not about how long you've been on the road. It's about how far you've traveled. Say, well, I've been a Christian for 50 years. Okay, but how far have you traveled? How much have you learned? Well, I've read the Bible 5,000 times. How much of it can did you retain? How much of it do you understand? Did you memorize? By this time, you have to be teachers. Being found in fascism, and he humbled himself. See, it's not about us and what we've done, what we've achieved, what we've accomplished, but rather about what honors the Lord. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He had a job to do. For this purpose am I come, the Lord says. For this purpose am I come. What is our purpose that we come? The Lord had a purpose. We have a purpose. What is our purpose? To glorify God, to edify the saints, to call the lost to Christ. That's it. I don't fit in the the equation other than my vocal cords. That's it. He just needs you to speak. He does the work. I can't preach conviction. The Lord is the one that convicts. Obedient unto death. Look at it says here. As the Lord humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ, to humble yourself and to be obedient unto death. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive the sin and heal their land. But look at the first thing. My people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves. You see, there's a lot, a lot of saints calling upon the Lord, and that they're praying, seeking His face, and and repenting, but they're not humbling. Humility. But, and how do you, how can you, how do you know this? People say, well, how do you know this? How, how can you know what other Christians are doing? Take a look at the state of Christianity. You see, if there is true humility, there wouldn't be infighting. They wouldn't be bickering and fighting, slandering. There wouldn't be saints stabbing saints in the back, hating other saints. There wouldn't be saints hating anyone. Name-calling, deriding, mocking, scoffing, fighting, bickering, getting off the mark, making everything about politics and everything else. Humility is forsaking all dying to self putting the lord first as the first and primary focus of everything and ignoring everything else true humility sees only the work true humility sees other people first and exalts others over yourself true humility is following christ as a disciple 
Look what Jesus said to the disciples when they started to get off the mark. And he said, Lord, these other ones over here, they don't follow you, but they're speaking your name. Lord, should, should you that, that we would call down hellfire on them? What the Lord say? Ye know not what spirit ye are of. They become obedient unto death. There's no retirement plan. You, you never retire from, from teaching, from preaching until you die. Death is your retirement. Heaven is your retirement home. Became obedient unto death. As the soldiers in the field are obedient unto death, they keep fighting until they can't fight anymore. And their, their life is gone. They keep fighting. They keep pushing. They keep warring. The saint, as a good soldier in Christ Jesus, fights. It's to the death. The work, the ministry is to the death. We fight the devils to the death. We war against these dragons to the death. And our strength is joy in Christ. Putting the Lord first. As we talked about how he is our armor. He is our weaponry. He is our bread, our water, our light, our life, our breath. Verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. It's not my name. And you know, I, I just it just came to my mind just something on this I just want to comment on. I, I do have to be completely 100% honest in this. If my opinion is worth anything, which I doubt... I get really angry when I see other people, so-called preachers, putting their names on Bibles. So-and-so study Bible. You can buy these Bibles with these men's names, these other people's names on them. That's their special Bibles. That, that's, that's, that's wrong. Exalting their name like there's some apostle. Uh, uh, like... It's just, it's wrong. It's not right. Should be no one else's name and no one else's words on the same pages as scripture. That's just not right. That's not right. There's only one name that matters. No one else's. We're not followers of other, other, as Paul says, that some, some follow uh, Peter, some follow Cephas, some follow Apollos, some follow me, but are we not all one in Christ? We don't follow men. We don't follow other people. We don't follow old preachers of old reformers. We're Christians. Followers of Jesus Christ. No one else. We're not disciples of anyone else. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. We follow the word of God, not someone else's words. We follow scripture, not commentaries. Scripture, not catechisms. Scripture, not councils. Scripture, not anything else. None other name, none other power. No, no, it's not about denominationalism. Oh, I'm Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Presbyterian, I'm this. We are born again Christians. We follow Jesus Christ and his words and him alone. His name and his name alone. His name, which is above every other name that at the name of jesus not john macarthur not rc sprawl not john calvin not dl moody not charles spurgeon not anyone else not even apostle paul or peter or james the name of jesus we bow 
at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We follow one name of one marching order, of one mind, one spirit, of one faith, in unity of fellowship of one God, of one cross, one way, one truth, one life. It's to confess Jesus Christ. Not confess a catechism. Not confess a charter. Not to confess any other thing. Not to confess a denominational uh, standing. But to confess Jesus Christ and his word and his faith and his way of his truth of his life. To the glory of God the Father. What glorifies the Lord? What pleases him? What honors him? When his saints, his children follow him and him alone. Singular minded. Tunnel visioned on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. Let the Neros, let the emperors, let the heathen rage, let the people imagine vain thing. I have a job to do. I have a job to do. Souls need to be saved. And I'm, I'm not going to waste my time railing about sinful, unsaved men and, and, and other people, what they're doing. I'm not wasting my time. Time is short. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I'm not going to waste any more days. I have a job to do. I have a name to carry. I have a message to preach. I have work to do. I'm going to ignore everything else. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And until, until every tongue is, is promoting Christ, I'm going to stay on this topic. When every tongue is confessing Christ, then I'll look at other things. But I have work to do right now. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, and he's talking to the Philippians and about how, how they hold to this, and he's again strengthening them and encouraging them to keep this. As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not, and not just when I'm with you, but you keep this even when I'm not with you. You keep yourself accountable. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And how much the more? Work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. Now, what does he mean by that? Is that salvationary? Is that the salvationary uh, context there? Work out your salvation, fear and trembling. Is that what he's saying? Because you wouldn't believe... How many people actually ask me that question? Oh, you say salvation is by grace through faith, but but James chapter 2, faith that works is dead and work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. You wouldn't believe how many people pull that one. Um, all right. As we do know, as uh, the, the clear interprets the unclear context the clear interprets the unclear 
What does the word of God teach regarding salvation? Like if you look at Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you look at Jesus' first message in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. You see, as it says in Romans 10, 9 to 10, Acts 16, 30 to 31, Ephesians 1, 7, Ephesians 1, 13. As you see, as it says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, as you see in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and on and on, all these other passages that talk about salvation, talk about the gospel, how to be saved, what does it say? It's by belief. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you may know that you have salvation because you believed. So it's belief, but it's by grace, unmerited favor, through faith, which is believing trust, and not of yourselves, not of works, not of righteous works, not by works of the law. So since the Bible says it's by grace through faith by belief alone, and it's not of works, work out your own salvation, fear and trembling, therefore then is not a salvationary context. Because are you telling me that Paul over here says, says, for by grace are you saved through faith in that not of yourselves, not of works. As any mission boasts, it's not of righteous works. It's not by the works of the law, but 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 work out your own salvation. I'm confused, Paul. Is it by works or is it not? And see, you see, that's what happens to a lot of people. Because they they're not taking the clear clearly. They are not establishing the clear context as affirmative action that this is what it is. The absolute doctrine. But since it says that, it's not of works, not of yourselves, not by righteous works. Any other passage, any other context that would seem to even remotely imply a work salvation is not a salvationary context because it says over here that it's not of works so therefore it's never by works because it says it's not by works that means it's never by works if you're into taking down notes please write that one down because it says it's not by works it therefore is never by works no matter what you read, any any other passage. So what is this saying? This working out your salvation is directly related to and addressing uh, James chapter 2. Faith that works is dead, which is the outward promotion of the faith of the, of the works of the saint in carrying out their salvation, the promotion of their salvation for the purpose of witnessing and edifying, educating the, the works of Christ, of the saints, working, carrying out like the disciples following Christ. They're working out, carrying out their calling. Now, did they do this to earn their salvation? No. To maintain, to keep their salvation? No. To atone for their own sins? No. They are saved. Now they have a job to do, a work to do. Their salvation brings with it a work. The works of the saints. The promotion of Christ. Um, like as it says in Ephesians it talks, uh, and, uh, and Romans, it talks about uh, predestined to do the works of Christ. That's what it is. 
uh, how much the more to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. The fear, this is the uh, holy reverential worship and respect, the fear of the Lord. To do this, uh, carry out these things in the fear of the Lord and, the, and in trembling. What does that mean? Lowliness of mind and humility of lowering ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that it's a fearful thing to work in the name of Jesus Christ. It, there's, it's such a high, holy, sacred thing to go forward in the name of Jesus Christ. Trembling in the name of Jesus Christ. This, this is a, a, a proper thought and insight regarding who we are in Jesus Christ what we are carrying who is with us think about when you're standing before almighty lord god you think your knees are going to knock yeah just the very thought of how high and holy and powerful and amazing the lord is it causes you to shake a little who do i who am i to stand in his presence. And this is why whenever the Lord would appear to individuals through the scriptures, they would immediately fall on their face. That's what that means. In fear and trembling is that kind of thing. If the Lord himself was to break through the clouds right in front of you and to speak your name, do you think your face would hit the ground at Mach 10? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's about. About remembering the Lord in all things, in his presence with you, and how that will conduct your behavior and your actions. How much more in fear and trembling? Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God works through you. He gives you the words with which to say. He guides your hands, guides your feet. He guides your thoughts. He instructs, he teaches you all things, causes you to be in remembrance of everything. For it is God which worketh in you. This Proverbs 8.22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. I, I think about that. A holy possession. The possession by the spirit of the living God. As he indwells the heart of every believer. As he, his spirit comes down and indwells you. Possesses you. Owns you. Now instructs. Convicts. Teaches. Helps in every way. So he guides the works, he guides the thoughts, he guides the words. It's of him, not me. It's not, it's not my education of my ability of my achievements, but rather his. I'm just an ignorant backcountry bumpkin. No, no different than how we see the Lord going and gathering ignorant, unlearned fishermen. They were born into that trade. They know nothing but that trade. They had no high education of any kind of thing. And the Lord called them. And the Lord taught them. And they go forward then speaking the things that they were told. Doing the things that they were shown. And it's not of them or their learning. And the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, took note that they had been with Jesus and were confounded. It's not of me, it's of him. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, as ye have always obeyed, to obey this calling, this work of this Spirit, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. It's 
his calling what happens. It's for his pleasure, not mine. It's for his name, not mine. It's to bring souls to him, not build up my numbers. It's to build up the numbers of heaven, not my accounts. It's his fame, not mine. His name, not mine. To the glory of God, not mine. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Verse 14. Now, if you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking your Bible, please do so with verse 14. Verse 14. Do all things. Can I ask you folks a question? Do you answer in the comments? What does that mean? All things. Do all things. What does that mean? Now, is this a a corrupted Calvinistic all? That it's it's actually a limited specific group of things and it excludes everything else, only a couple things? Or is this an all-inclusive, general all-inclusive, meaning literally, virtually anything, everything that could possibly ever be done in any way, shape, or form? What does all things mean? Do all things. I see in another passage, in everything, in in every thing that you do, whether that from the greatest to the most minute, in all things, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Do you know what that means? You know what Paul's getting at? You know what Paul's getting at? You know, you know what this directly immediately relates to? Like the like the Israelites in the wilderness, belly aching and complaining and griping and murmuring and disputing and how the Lord got angry with that. The Lord got angry with their belly aching. He got angry with their murmuring, complaining. This is probably like the other one about putting uh, about exalting others over yourself thinking of others better than yourself this one is probably the most difficult commandment of god in the entire scriptures if i dare say just my opinion but my opinion is that this verse right here of Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, is the most difficult commandment in the entire scripture. <laughs> Think about that one for a moment. Okay, we see who is Paul? An apostle of Jesus Christ. Appointed as an apostle by Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is God Almighty himself, manifested in the flesh. Paul, taught of Christ, by the authority of Christ, goes and writes in the name of Christ this epistle. 
by inspiration of the spirit of the living God, God telling Paul, write this. So this is not a commandment of Paul. This is a commandment of God. God is saying through Paul, stop complaining. Do all things without complaining. No complaining. No murmuring. No belly aching. No complaining. No griping. No gossiping. No murmuring about other people. Complaining about other people. Other things. Other issues. Other or problems. No complaining about the work you're doing. The the day the day that that you're having. No complaining, no griping, no murmuring, and no disputing, no fighting, no arguing, no bickering, no butting heads. Shut up. <laughs> That's literally what this means. Now, why do I say that that's the, the hardest commandment in the entire Bible? Because it is vastly, widely known that complaining and murmuring and griping and belly aching is humanity's top number one favorite pastime. Everyone loves to complain. We're not happy unless we're complaining about something. We're complaining about from the big issues down to the smallest issues. We complain about everything don't we let's be honest we all do and anyone who says they don't is a liar because it's in our direct nature it's in our nature we, we may fight against it and resist it as much as possible, but it always gets us. When you're tired, when you've had a bad day, and then the problems start piling up, you'll start complaining. You're going to start punching the steering wheel on your way to work, gritting your teeth at the slow drivers, glaring at people, cutting you off, and you'll be mentally and physically and, and verbally and in thought complaining and griping about everything we all love to complain about our bosses we love to complain about other people we love to complain about the annoying kids at church we love complaining about the cold food the cold coffee the service at the coffee station they're complaining about our that the gas gauge it's too low we always complain about something tell me i'm wrong i dare you <laughs> <laughs> we laugh but it's not a laughing matter because we see when we actually break it down that we actually think about complaining in and of itself what it is that murmuring and belly aching what is the complaining nature the manifestation of? Faithlessness. Unbelief. And ungratefulness. 
lack of joy. Because when you're joyful, you're not complaining. When you're joying in, in, in the spirit of Christ, rejoicing in Christ, you're not complaining. Complaining, bellyaching, and griping is the direct, immediate manifestation of lack of joyous fellowship in Christ. It's faithlessness. Faithlessness manifests by complaining, griping nature. And what are we what are we told? Rejoice always. Pray always. Rejoice in tribulations. Why? So you won't fall into faithlessness and doubt and fear and worry and stress and heaviness and depression, all the rest of that that will cause you to become faithless and doubting. You become fearful and unbelieving. The complainer doesn't pray. Or when they do pray, they're praying with a twisted mind as a double-minded man, unstable in all their ways, because they're praying for the help of God, but in the same time, they're also cursing by their complaining, griping, and the Lord won't bless that. They're, they're well, being washed to and fro like raging waves. What was it saying, James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7? Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Do all things. So how, how, can, we, how can we fix this? We complain all the time. Well, how can we, how can we fix this? Well, in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. Let's start with the simple things. Let's start with the, the base natural things. Food and drink. How can we be truly thankful for what we have? How can we be truly thankful? Let's say you only have a can of beans in the cupboard. You got a can of beans in the cupboard. It's, it's the same idea of not looking at the glass half empty, but rather you look at what you do have. You see about how there are others worse off, but that's not a great way to think about it because you also, you, you then want to help them. But rather you look at John the Baptist. He was thankful for the grasshoppers. Thankful for the wild honey. He was thankful for the camel skin. He was thankful for the message that he was given. He was thankful that he had the stars for his roof. That the sun would warm him up in the day. He had the presence of God to keep him warm at night. To be thankful for what we have, I've learned therewith in everything to be content. I've learned to be content. And when you're content, you don't complain. When you're content, you don't murmur. When you're content, you don't gripe and bellyache. 
Because when you're doing that, you are not in the spirit of Christ. You know not uh, you uh, you do not understand the spirit of Christ. Do all things without murmuring. We complain when not enough people come to church. We complain when the pastor goes a bit longer in his message than you'd like. You complain that your stomach is rumbling and you're hungry and maybe you didn't get to drink all your coffee and you're complaining in your mind about that. Self-complaints. You complain that people are making noise during the service, which they ought not to be, but that's not your problem. You ignore that. You keep, you keep listening. We complain about everything. You know, it reminds me in my previous job, I was working as a security guard. The uh, security chief had a had a saying that always stuck with me, and it's so true. It's almost biblical. It's almost biblical in a sense. He wasn't a Christian in any way, shape, or form, but but this saying was all, almost biblical. And what I mean by that is is his saying was. You're not allowed to complain about something unless you have the solution on how to fix it. Again, you're not allowed to complain about something unless you have the have a solution on how to fix it. That changes everything. Okay? You have an issue a problem that's before you are you just going to gripe about it or are you going to try to do something about it to try to fix it see that's what the lord would rather you see a problem you bring up that problem as a complaint to the lord is to say lord there's this issue there's this problem could you please help me on fi to fix this issue could you please give us the solution could you show us how to go about this that's the right spirit that's how you go about it instead of just griping and bellying and complaining how about get up and go do something about it you see someone in need or see a problem or someone's having an issue or whatever's going on do something about that to edify them help them strengthen them encourage them lift them up to help them with their need and whatever it may be instead of complaining about issues how about do something about it we love to complain about other christians complain about the unsaved we love to complain about this world and rarely ever do something about it but rather, what was the mind of Christ? He saw a problem and he did something about it. He saw the lame man and he rose him up. The dead man brought him back to life. The blind man gave him sight. The hungry he fed. Even at the wedding. He didn't join in the complaining about they didn't have wine. He did something about it. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Instead of fighting and bickering and whining, complaining and bellyaching, rather, what's the mind of Christ in this matter? Whatever it may be, what's the mind of Christ? What would Jesus do? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Seriously. What's the mind of Christ? What would Jesus do about this? How would he think about this? Don't let your flesh react. Don't let your flesh speak. 
Rather, speak in spirit, speak in love and grace and mercy. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless. To be blameless. That nobody could accuse you of anything. Rather, they, when they do accuse you, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation. Because you're not just bickering and bellyaching. They may be blameless and harmless. Harmless as a dove, wise as a serpent. The sons of God, the children of God, without rebuke, faultless, to seek to be. None, none of us are faultless, but it's the idea that we strive for that. To what purpose? To what end? To glorify God. So when people see us coming, they know what is coming is a servant of the Lord. Coming in the wisdom and the understanding and the spirit of Christ and the mind of Christ. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. How true and accurate that is. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Would you say, would you say that the nation that you're in is crooked and perverse? Would you say that? Yeah, I'd say so, especially mine. My nation is absolutely debaucherous, godless, and it is crooked and perverse. But instead of just complaining about it, what can I do? Well, the king of heaven, the king of kings, on his holy throne, stood up and stepped into this absolute rancid, disgusting, debaucherous, immoral, sinful, evil, wicked, twisted world. God stepped down into this sewer tank of earth, walking around in this sewer tank to try to change it. Preaching righteousness, not complaining, but encouraging, edifying, convicting, preaching righteousness to seek to bring people out of it. Let this mind be in you. To see the world for what it is, to see your nation for what it is, through the eyes of Christ. Not only thinking in the mind of Christ, but seeing in the eyes of Christ, speaking in the mouth of Christ, hearing in the ears of Christ, working in the hands of Christ, longing by the heart of Christ, walking by the feet of Christ, wearing the armor of Christ, and carrying with us the weapons and the armory of Christ. It's no longer I, but the Lord. Let this mind, let this life, this spirit be in you. This changes the very way you see the world. Changes everything. That you may be blameless and harmless like Christ, the sons of God, 
like Christ, without rebuke, like Christ, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, like Christ. How much more should we? Holding forth the word of life, like Christ, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Because it's all in his name, for his glory, for his word, for his spirit, for his way, truth, and life. That I have not run in vain. That my daily walk, my, my, the walk of my life, will not be in vain, vanity, in any form of pointlessness, worthlessness, things that don't actually matter. Neither labored in vain, that my service would not be in any form of vanity, but actually be in something that is actually truly important. My labor would not be in vain. My, my walk, my run would not be in vain. My life would not be in vain. My speech would not be in vain. Yea, verse 17, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I join and rejoice with you all. That my life is given as a sacrifice for the saints, for others. I give myself as a living sacrifice. Placed on the altar of the faith. I joy and rejoice with you all. For this, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. The Philippians too, in the same heart, same spirit, in the same manner, working with Paul in the same spirit. This is why Paul is rejoicing, because the Philippians are the same. It's the same mind, they talk the same, they act the same, they work the same. They're identical in spirit, in behavior, in character, in demeanor, in message, in treatment of others. They're the same. Should not the churches be thus? Should not the churches be thus? That it doesn't matter where you go, that when you meet other saints, it, it, it just, it's like meeting your twin. But that's how we're supposed to be. Yes, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we're individual persons, all this. But when it comes down to character and treatment of spirit, we're twins. Imitating the spirit of Christ, walking in the spirit of Christ, twinning in thought and word and action yeah our personalities and all this of actual individual characters different but in spirit in work and love is the same and if, it, if i be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith i joy and rejoice with you all For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. For the same cause. We have a cause. We have a work to do. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. And he's sending Timothy to, to go to them to to help encourage them and teach them more, to help them to grow, to help to help them in all things, and also to hear of how they're doing to, and to report back. And we see a fellowship. 
We see a fellowship and a desire of communication, a desire of staying in contact. But what do we see a lot happening today? Isolation. We hardly see much of Christian fellowship outside of church itself. You see, saints gather together, we're all happy to see each other, and then we leave and we have nothing to do with each other through the rest of the week. Rarely calling and talking and being in fellowship, but we're supposed to stay in fellowship, stay in communication. What kind of family would it be? You have the mom, dad, and, and the kids. What kind of family environment would that be if the family only really spoke to each other once maybe twice a week no one spoke to each other really had anything to do with each other for the rest of the week that'd be a sad family sad environment how strong of a of a of a family knit environment would that be hardly at all You'd hardly know anything about each other. There's no fellowship. There's no communication. There's no encouragement. There's nothing. There's there's no closeness. But isn't that kind of like what it is in the spiritual family in the churches today? So what can we do to fix it? Not allowed to complain about something unless you got a solution how to fix it. What is the solution? What's the solution? You tell me. What's the solution? How could we fix that problem? Verse 20, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Naturally care for you. Individuals who naturally desire and actually care about each other. This is the mind of Christ. Exactly, purely to seek out, to reach out. Now we know that's the solution. Now will we do that? You may say, because it is a very real thing, there are some Christians that had, that just, there aren't churches around for them to go to. Like, actually. So, but, but what can you do? You can contact other Christians by other means. Call, text, email, social media. Go visit, seek out, seek out in any way, and stay in touch, stay in contact, to stay in fellowship. Every day, talk to each other, help each other, encourage each other, pray for each other, strengthen each other, counsel each other, to keep each other going. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us act like it. We're supposed to be twins. And you know, that there's a... That and that odd connection with twins. It's like they almost know what each other's thinking and you can't separate them. They're always together. There's a there's a relationship between twins that's unlike anyone else. You mean like the spirit of Christ through believers? There's a connection and a fellowship and a closeness unlike anything else. Because the, the spirit that is in me is exactly 
identical is the same spirit that's in you. It pulls and draws us together to be in fellowship of one heart, one mind, one spirit, one faith. Let us listen to that, to listen to that calling, to that draw. And let us work together. Let us spend time together, fellowshipping together, not ignoring each other. We are not an army of one. Let's stop acting like that. To be, uh, to be like-minded, to naturally care, to actually care for each other. Verse 20, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Look what he says, it's hard to find individuals who naturally care for, for each other, for, for all seek their own. Everybody seeks their own thing does their own thing, wants to keep to themselves, ignore everybody else. That's not right. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Because what is the nature of Jesus Christ? Fellowship of closeness. As he taught this with his disciples, as they stayed together and lived together for three years. As Lord showing them. And they, had, and they had all things common. And like in the early church, they all even lived together and had all things common. No man called that which was his own. Everything that, that, they, that they had, that they did own, they shared it with everyone. It belonged to everybody. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him. That as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Talking about Timothy. That Timothy, a young man trained by Apostle Paul. And look how Paul addresses him. Like a family. About how, how like a father and a son even as Paul was older, but how they looked at each other, as they're not actually physically related, but in the spirit of Christ, there's that family environment. And him, therefore, I hope to send presently, send to you, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Talk about how he wants to come and visit, to be in fellowship. He desires, longs to be in fellowship with other saints. Do you honestly desire and long, honestly, sincerely, long to be in fellowship with other saints? That's the spirit of Christ. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. He heard, because you had heard that he had been sick, and now he's full, full of heaviness about how, how that, that just, it touched him so much that they cared that much, and, and were praying for him, and, and, and longing for him to get better, and that moved him. He wants to go and see them to show that he's better and to thank them, to be in fellowship with them. As you see, such a close, close, loving family environment. Now look at the state of the churches today. 
How, how often do you see that? How often do you, do you actually honestly see this kind of a behavior? And not just in churches, but how, how about let, let's look at ourselves personally. Do we see this? How can we fix this? This self-isolating individual personality. I don't really need it. I, I, I love the fellowship, but I don't need it. I have a great time when I'm around them, but I don't necessarily long. Like when I'm away from them, I feel, I feel like there's a part of me missing. I, I don't have that. How can we fix that? By understanding what is the proper nature and resisting and rebuking that which would contradict. About bringing myself before the altar of Christ, before the throne of grace, before the throne of glory, and correcting myself, rebuking my flesh, which desires isolation, and longing for the spirit of Christ, which desires fellowship. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, that I may be the less sorrowful. As that there is this issue, and all, all are longing for the, for the closeness, that all will be, be well, and, and be working together, and that there be no break in the fellowship and communication. And see such lengths that people are going to try to fix this. And prayer and fasting and fellowship and encouragement and longing, uh, desiring a, a fellowship. It's a sorrowful thing. It's a sorrowful thing. When the saints don't see the need of that close-knit community. Uh, community. But as soon as this, as soon as the message is over, they just run for home. Or they stand around and talk for a bit and then they leave and there's no communication throughout the week. That, that this close-knit community of spirit is missing. Do you think that perhaps that, that could be one of the problems of why we don't see much of revivals today? Why much of the prayers of saints struggle today? Why the effectiveness of the church is lacking today? Is because there's not much by way of the saintly fellowship? What can we do to fix that? Verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness. And hold such in reputation. Encouraging each other to keep going. Encouraging each other to stand up. To stand strong. With all gladness. As the Lord. Looks upon us. We should look upon each other. As the Lord forgives us, we should forgive each other. As the Lord encourages us, we should encourage each other. Because it's not I, but the Lord. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives through me. 
how now what lengths what things could i do so to cause this that the spirit of christ would be able to live through me fully to the nth degree that there'd be nothing that would hinder that i would not self-censor my spiritual efficiency which is what we do we self-censor we censor our fellowship we censor our speech we censor our effectiveness our closeness well how can i fix this it starts with our closeness with christ personally you can't fix the other you can't fix the outward you can't fix your communication with others until you fix yours with christ because your because your actual physical community placement and effectiveness is a is a is a manifestation of how your relationship is with the lord how much time you spend with the lord will be manifested in how you affect others you want to you want to strengthen and build up your fellowship with the saints you need to strengthen and build up your fellowship with christ Verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. He nearly, this individual nearly worked himself to death in serving the Lord in his work of Christ. He put the Lord ahead of even his own well-being, even his own welfare for the purpose of to be a uh, that, that these others other saints would be blessed he did this for them in the name of christ for them because for the work of christ who is not to death not regarding his life to supply your lack he saw you had a need and he nearly gave his life to help your need And the reason he did that was not just to help you, but because that was the right thing to do because it would bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. To supply your lack. To be close enough to each other that we'd know that we would know each other's needs, lacks, weaknesses, and that we would seek to bolster up those bits. So we would all be fully strong in the Lord. To bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is the point of Philippians chapter 2. Any comments, questions, issues, insights? What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this? Any other verses, ideas, thoughts, things that come up on this to uh, go hand in hand with this? Please feel free to chime in. I'd love to hear from you. So if you, if this, if these studies are a blessing and encouragement to you, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons, and we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other content on all kinds of other bible studies and goodies and topics as well as make sure to check out our website christiancoffeetime.ca we have links to all our other platforms and goodies our free downloadable gospel track pdfs and all that so please make sure you check that out as well as a contact us link you can email us directly and we'd love to hear from you 
and uh, just even if you just want to write let us know how you're doing how are you doing well where, where are you reading your bible what are you learning you got any prayer requests any of these kinds of things reach out to us we would love to hear from you and uh we'd love to be in communication with you as well as you can always uh uh join us on the other social media platforms that we have which uh, our links are on our website uh we're on facebook instagram youtube twitter we're all over the place on reddit so make sure to join those as well we have our our christian coffee time community just everywhere we're all around the world so reach out join yourself in and uh become a part become a member of this um and to be a member of Christian Coffee Time, all you got to do is grab your Bible and only your Bible and bring only your Bible and your Christian fellowship. So grab your Bible, join us at the table, and rejoice in Jesus Christ. So with that, if there's nothing else, um, let's see if there's any comments I missed here. Um, yeah, that pretty much wraps it up there, I guess. So with that, this is Simple Study for today not so simple but it can be simple in how we approach this so please give this some thought about our attitude our placement our treatment our behavior our character our outlook our outlook do nothing in murmuring do nothing griping and complaining nothing in bickering no root of bitterness rebuke the bitterness Rebuke the flesh. Walk in spirit. This is what's important. Right? Okay. Um, So with that, um, OC Force has a question here. Do you have any information on Adam and Eve in the garden? We're currently working on that as we have a series that's coming out. We've already had uh, uh, the second part in the series of the, the... the Genesis account of creation, uh, Pastor Paul's putting together a series. We already have the first two videos on that, our, our Genesis series. So please make sure you check that out. Um, so that that is coming. He'll be walking through that. So uh, please just, uh, just just hold on and uh, be looking forward to that. And check out the videos you already we've already done on that. Uh, uh, see Genesis one verses one to two, and then we see the second one was. Uh, the principles of salvation as seen in the creation accounts please make sure you check that out too and he will be going through all about the creation account of this and uh, about adam and eve so so hold on it is coming we will be addressing that uh, so with that god bless you folks god bless all those who love our lord god jesus christ god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again and as always if i don't see you again i'll see you in the sky god bless Thank you.